everybody, my name is Julian Hoes and this is Morning Chat, Good News and Politics. I hope you've all had a good weekend, I hope you're feeling refreshed and ready to work from the place you were in all weekend anyway. The, uh, if anybody doesn't know, Good News Politics is all about answering your questions about politics, helping you guys to understand what's going on in the world, giving you guys the information you guys want to have and helping to explain why things are the way they are. Now, the weather today, 11 degrees in Amsterdam, 11 degrees in Brussels, 15 in Paris, 12 in London, 14 in Bucharest and 19 in Madrid. And there is plenty of good news to go around. Corona deaths are far below what they were even a week ago, let alone two or three, with 135 people passing away in the last 24 hours, 174 people in Italy, 164 in Spain, and 315 in the UK. This is good because before everybody was panicking and everybody was really scared that we wouldn't be able to get this down with the way people were behaving, we wouldn't be able to really make things work better in terms of reducing the curve, reducing deaths, in any country with how bad things were getting, but we've shown that people can. And I'm going to cover two topics related to this on this episode. So, well, three questions mostly. So, these questions are... Let me just get them up. So, why did France change the quarantine rules last night regarding people, particularly French and Europeans, going into France? Um... Is there a date specified for EU travellers going into France, so people who are thinking about their holidays? And has Sweden done a good job in dealing with the coronavirus? Now, first of all, let's start with why did France change the quarantine rules last night? So this is really interesting, actually, because it's, it's not only a slight issue with the way the government chose to communicate on this issue. It is also a problem of how exactly people are reading the documents and listening to the statement itself. And this speaks to this, the, how complicated French is. Let's just be 100% honest, it was mostly about how complicated French can be for a foreigner to understand and how difficult it can be to really pick up on this kind of language behind it. But, French Minister of Solidarity and Health Olivier Véran made a statement about the imposition of a 14-day quarantine on all travellers entering France a few days ago. Now, this was mostly part of the uh, reducing of lockdown measures and allowing people to travel back to France, particularly French people like myself who live abroad, as well as people who are who got stuck abroad and couldn't actually make it back due to border closures. For example, my colleagues and friends in France, in Belgium, sorry, in Italy or in other places. And this was meant to keep the French state safe and prevent any outward infections overall. A lot of outlets weren't exactly sure or clear in general about whether this was the case for those within the EU travelling in or just exclusively for those outside of the EU. However, since then a clarification was put out by the French Embassy in the UK and this was clarifying that this would not affect those travelling from within Schengen or the EU. Now, this is important because of how much and the disproportionate effect it would have had on those who travel across frontiers to work in France, outside of France, in any ways. There's a lot of people who, for example, live in Lille and who travel to work in Brussels or other towns in France. People who um, live in uh, Alsace 
who travel into Germany, people who live in the um, southeast of France and travel into Italy, and those who travel in, from the southwest of France into Spain, and vice versa. A lot of frontier workers would have been disproportionately affected. I'm sure a lot of you remember the discussion about this regarding Brexit and how that was going to severely impact frontier workers with UK citizenship only. But So you get a sort of idea of where this is coming from. But the, uh, the problem is that the issue appears to have entirely been a linguistic one and not necessarily one of the government's decision or the legislation itself. Now, the, the draft law that was published the other night indicated that a list of circulation zones would be made available to the public by the government in order for people to understand how this works. But due to the phrasing, it wasn't necessarily clear about the fact that it was speaking about the list coming out. It was a... It's a linguistic tick. I'm sure you all have, in all of your native languages, there are legal languages that aren't necessarily clear to you at first glance and that you need to ask someone or look it up online to really get the clarification. But this was purely an issue of language, not necessarily communication, or the law itself. Now, someone asked me, Julian, do you have any idea if a date for travellers entering from the EU has been specified? It seems vague. It's indicating late July. Thanks for any insight that you have. And now, this is a, an interesting question. This is something a lot of people, including myself, are hoping to get some information on. Because if we're just going for a holiday, not necessarily for work, we may not have the freedom to travel into France itself. Now, the, my understanding of this is that there are several layers, and a few of which have been clarified, but not entirely. Now, from the, the, at the basic level, French and EU citizens will initially be able to start travelling to, from and within France from the 11th of May for the purpose of work, and if they can prove that they can firstly, that they firstly need to be able to travel to get to work, secondly, that they are unable to work remotely, and thirdly, that they must relocate to do so and complete their work. For example, you've got people who can't necessarily work from home. Farmers, manufacturers, people who run businesses, it's not necessarily possible to open a shop from home. You need to travel. Similar situations for like smaller produce sellers, similar to supermarkets where they have to be there and they are necessary. When it comes to general travel for the purposes of tourism, it's very unlikely that the government is going to allow this from any state anytime soon, purely because of the fact that they need to be sure that the coronavirus curve and deaths have been put under control, that the testing is in place, and that they have all of the sanitary stations in stations, in airports, in the public, for people to use to clean their hands as well as what the French government is doing, which is giving people cloth masks to protect themselves from infection and reduce the likelihood of them being infected themselves. And the these are being given free by the French government, I believe, which is a great move and shows that, you know, there is some logical thinking about how the French state is wanting to put people forward. This travel from outside of France is unlikely to be available before the 24th of July, which is the date for the current, well, the proposed date for the current extension to the uh, sanitary states of emergency in France. Uh, this is, it may happen a bit before, it may happen a bit later, we will see, 
But there are also other questions that are going to be clarified with the incoming decree and law that are going to be put in place, such as what if people need to move to France or through France or whatever to be able to work or to be able to look after people. I mean, I may be having to move into France at some point in the next few months myself for work, and I need to know if I can actually do that. But these are all going to be clarified with the incoming decrees and future government announcements. Now, and also, by the way, if you guys have any questions or need any clarifications, drop them in the comments below. Let me know what you guys want to know. I'll happily answer. It's a Monday morning. None of us have anything better to do anyway. So please, guys, just throw them in. Now, has Sweden done a good job? This is a very, <laughs> very complicated kind of question to answer because... There's a lot going on in Sweden and not all of it is entirely positive and many people have actually linked it, many academics even, have linked it to the way populism took root in the UK in the lead up to Brexit and during Brexit, which is very worrying. But à la base, Sweden has persisted with a strategy that the UK abandoned back in March, which is seeking herd immunity, a very low level of lockdown, a, a relatively high level of freedom for Swedish citizens to travel around and everything. While, funny enough, simultaneously the Swedish government, or the Swedish military, I can't remember who the announcement came from, threatened to shoot any travellers who crossed the border into Sweden. There's, there's, there's a problem there, in, in my opinion, how you can seek herd immunity but then threaten to shoot anybody coming into the country, but... It is what it is. And right now, the Swedish death toll from coronavirus is among the 10 highest in the world. So that's including states such as the US, which is number one, the UK, which is number two, and China, which, while it obfuscated a lot of its figures, is presumably very, very high in general anyway. And the figure is currently at 240 people per million and rising in terms of deaths. Now, the big, the big argument that people have had is why can't we just let Sweden be Sweden? Why can't we just let Sweden be the responsible country that does what it wants to do and protect itself in the way it wants to protect itself and engage sovereignty and, you know, the typical nationalistic, self-defensive argument that the UK put in place quite so frequently with Brexit. And this has provoked some controversy and led to some quite nasty arguments happening in Sweden. So, for example, a little while back, 22 scientists wrote a column arguing that the country needed to change strategy. And as not every country is bordering France and has Emmanuel Macron to bully their head of states the way he did Boris Johnson, not every state is going to be normatively influenced or forced to change a strategy by any means. So in some cases, they need to actually look internally for the impetus to change. And in Sweden, they didn't find that. Rather than listening to these 22 scientists, who are experts in what they do and knew what they were talking about, the argument became about why the scientists were using death figures that made Sweden look worse than the cautious estimates that the public health agency put forward. Some experts were also mocked and treated to sexism by the television producers, television programs they were on, and for example, one was mocked for her appearance, as well as her hysterical voice when she was describing the suffering of patients, which for many 
is a very, very emotional thing. I mean, I'm not even on the front line, and I feel quite emotional when I speak about the way a lot of people have had to die, and the way a lot of frontline workers, particularly as I have family, who uh, are related to those who do this, and and in Spain even the one of the health officials broke down crying in Parliament, describing what was happening and reading out names, and this was highly applauded. There's maybe this is a disconnect between you know the relative warmth of culture in Spain compared to the relative warmth in Sweden. I'm not an anthropologist. I'm not a social scientist in that regard, so I couldn't make that comment, but. This was quite shocking, and there, not only has the public opinion been quite bad, I mean, there's been populism at play with the Swedish Democrats uh, blaming the, uh, the lackluster response and the deaths on immigrants, asylum seekers, and refugees, claiming that a lot of those who work within the hospital system and within the health system simply don't understand the information given to them and are ignorance of what was happening around them, it takes on not only a populist sense, where the uh, the common enemy is being decried entirely as foreigners and people who are not Swedish, but it also takes on a xenophobic and racist tone, as many of these uh, asylum seekers, immigrants and refugees come in Sweden at least from Africa and the Middle East, and in fact the majority do. So there is a sense of, you know, what exactly is going on in Sweden? Are you guys really coping with this on a, not only on a governmental level, but on a public level? Is the public, is the political discourse uh, hampering the ability for Sweden to actually cope with this? And in many ways, it, I believe it's, it is. Because if you look at the fact that Swedish doctors are currently denying respirators to patients over the age of 80, as well as those as young as 60 who have underlying health conditions, Basically saying, you're too old, you're not a priority, if you die, you die, we need to focus on people who are more important. There is, we need to ask ourselves, how exactly do you, do you really, how exactly can a state be seen to be successful in dealing with the COVID-19 crisis at a domestic level if they're having to leave people to die? That is, there is a, a grave problem there. And, I mean, from all the indications that I have, so the public discourse, the ignorance of experts, the way people are being allowed to go without respirators or equipment they need to live, as well as the, uh, the way that public figures are having to demonize other, other cultural groups internally to answer the question of why things are going wrong and why things aren't working out. To me, Sweden is not doing a good job. Sweden is, while it's not, I wouldn't say it's failing, as, as I'm always saying on Twitter and Facebook and on these morning chats, people are too quick to put the blame on governments when this is an impossibly difficult situation and not everybody was, even highly developed countries such as ours were completely unable to cope with it at first. And even countries such as Italy, which have a high, high level of medical health provision were unable to cope with it and had some of the worst cases of deaths and infections across the, the developed world. We do need to take into account that in some cases there are genuine failures. So Southern Z is really Sweden is being portrayed here as the voice of reason for moderate response. 
Yes, and a lot of people are saying that. However, when you actually look at the way the medical experts are looking at it and the way in which that the their initial efforts seem to have pushed back the infection and the infection is happening more now and deaths are increasing now, we have to sort of question, has Sweden really had the more responsible response out of the the EU states, for example, has it had the most moderate and sensible response? I have Swedish friends who have said that they refused to go back because they saw what was happening in the UK and they saw that while Swedish measures being put in place were looking to be reasonable and looking to be really sensible and everything, that in their opinion and their opinion of their families back in Sweden, that these measures were actually just delaying what was happening. And I've now got Swedish friends of mine who initially returned to go back to Sweden to be safe compared to the Netherlands, which has also gone for a herd immunity type situation. They're now arguing that they wish they'd actually stayed in Amsterdam because of the fact that things in Sweden are going wrong. Same thing for friends of mine who moved back to the UK to be with their friends and family there because they thought it was safer for them there. They are now saying they'd wish they'd actually stayed in Amsterdam because it's actually safer and more sensible to be here and I mean for me at least I couldn't go back to the UK to be with my family or go to France to be with any family there either primarily because I had to go into quarantine coming back from Yash in Romania but also because I I thought that there was more risk being in transit than just staying put and dealing with it here basically but to put a hat on the whole thing the I don't think that Sweden has really put together a a solid response. Its initial response seemed to have been smart and sort of work to sort of deal with it in the short term and sort of push it back. But I think that what it's done is actually delay everything. It's delayed everything. Things are getting worse now. Like I said, its death toll is currently in the 10th highest countries in the world at 240 people per million and rising. It is, it's possibly going to rise above France okay and I'll get back to that in a second actually uh, it's going to it may rise above places like France which were hit quite heavily uh, but I don't think it's going to get as bad as Italy the UK and the USA in terms of what I've seen because it would just be bad now transparency and global cooperation really appears to be how, how the, to be sick at the moment okay Yes, so in that aspect, there are some big issues regarding the global response to these things. However, recently, European leaders have gotten together to sort of try and push this forward again. So I don't know if anybody who follows me here on Twitter saw that I retweeted or tweeted out the communique coming out of the Elysee Palace. So Emmanuel Macron, the uh, French president, uh, Conte, the Italian prime minister, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the commission president, uh, Charles Michel, the president of the council, as well as the Danish prime minister, or Norwegian prime minister, sorry, whose name escapes me right now because your language is very complicated. They put out a communique where they're pushing for a, a global response and from the G20, particularly a high level of funding that would allow a truly global response for the development of vaccines, the development of health, uh, 
health procurement at a global level, the development of strategies to combat this across borders, and the, the ability for all of these states to come together and work together, particularly at G20 level, because as many people know right now, we're seeing the blame game being played between China and the US with uh, Matt Pompeo just making up absolute nonsense and just discrediting himself entirely by claiming that the COVID-19 virus was developed in a lab in Wuhan, despite the fact that the WHO and all indicators are showing that it was genuinely just a coronavirus that came out of someone eating animal produce that wasn't safe. And this may work. This, this may work. You need to see the discussions happening at the G20 level. I know that many experts such as Ian Bremmer prefer to view the world in terms of G0, which is just that there is no global leader, there is nothing going on, and nobody's really taking the things at hand. And the issue I can see with this is that while this is a commendable view, many people are saying that it would, it, it's not necessarily going to work because we are, we're not taking into account the vested interests of the various countries. So, for example, one of the goals of this initiative, which is going to be take the support of the WHO and also has the support of health organizations, NGOs, international groups and medical experts at a European level, the issue is that it wants to develop a vaccine and treatments that would be available globally as a global public good and that would be available cheaply across the board. This isn't necessarily possible, primarily because of the fact that many countries don't have the they don't have the medical system in place to enable EU, well not EU, what I'm talking about, they don't have the, the, the capacity to actually allow vaccines and medical treatments to go cheaply. I'm primarily looking at the US where you can guarantee that the minute that this any vaccine is being put in place, you're going to see this being marketed at maybe $300 a shot, maybe $400 a shot. If it's a single vaccine that treats the whole thing, the price can go as high as maybe 1000 2000 3000 a treatment probably higher because i'm not being an expert in U us medical topics i understand that the pricing out there is wildly out of control and i come from countries that have more socialist medical provision and treatments such as the uk where the nhs covers most of the cost just taking it out of your paycheck or france where you pay a small amounts but you broadly are covered by health insurance and these type of issues and the issue is that a lot of these issues aren't answered yet china may not want to cooperate with the us with the way it's behaving and it's putting a lot of pressure on the eu in order to shift the blame and protect itself and it's also defending itself from blame a few more questions below once i figure out how to get these up Globalization is out of favor, it's seen as weak, but there's no way to straighten it without external influence, and the vaccine is going to become a weapon. Now, I don't think the vaccine is going to become a weapon. I think it will become a geopolitical tool. You'll see um, countries like the US will be using this to exert influence on other countries. Same with China, China will do the same thing. Uh, the EU is less likely to do so, 
I would be quite surprised if the EU, if the EU decided to use it as a normative tool or a tool to sort of bully other states into doing what they want. The EU would more than likely be including this within its global response. Uh, I disagree with that on a fundamental level. They're not necessarily weapons, as weapons connote violence, and geopolitical tools aren't necessarily always engaging in the act of violence on other states or individuals. That's something I can cover in another topic entirely. I would be happy to talk about you know, the difference between levels of violence, geopolitical tools, and weaponry at, uh, in a political sense. Uh, if you want me to cover that, just drop that below. I'm happy to. When we're starting to near 30 minutes, I'm going to start wrapping up soon. But let me just get back to the other point. Globalization is out of favor. It's seen as weak, but there is no way to straighten it without external influence. So I don't see how you can have an external influence in globalization because globalization is the act of the globalizing of politics and that would connote the, the inclusion of every global political actor in this act of globalization. Globalization is coming out of favor. However, that we are starting to see a move against this or we were before the COVID-19 pandemic kicked off. Is not, please don't apologize at all. Really, I'm happy to answer your questions. I really enjoy this kind of format. That's why I do it on Periscope and then upload this to YouTube and Spotify after. If you have more questions, find me on Twitter and message me on there. You can DM me there as well. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on YouTube. Put your comments wherever. I will answer any questions you have. That's what this is for. I'm here doing what I think is a public service. Don't apologize. But... Globalization was falling out of favor and well, there was a big fear regarding globalization back in 2016 when we had Brexit and Trump. But it's starting to come back into effect as we're seeing that globalization is useful when it comes to dealing with crises like the one we're living through now. The way that states are cooperating, the way that while the political arguments are happening, while cooperation is happening in a globalized sense between medical experts from, from Washington to Wuhan, Via, uh, via the EU, via Africa, it's it's showing that it's important. We saw that the uh, the election of Emmanuel Macron was a sort of a, a vote in favor of the of globalization. We could argue even that the European Parliament elections could have been seen as an argument against the deglobalization of global affairs and a support of it as the. Populists and anti-globalists didn't do as well as they thought, and in fact, in states such as France, uh, La République En Marche, the mostly globalist pro-EU group, was uh, came out of nowhere and equalized the votes of the uh, Front National or the seats even. It was slightly below the votes, the final vote tally in terms of like one or two percent. But overall, populism seems to have hit a wall and is showing its its weakness in comparison to globalized responses to crises like this. However, guys, I am going to cut this off now because we are hitting 30 minutes. I want to say thank you to everybody for tuning in, um, especially to those who gave questions. Really, don't apologize for giving questions. That's why I'm using Periscope. You can put in comments. I can respond in real time. I can answer your questions and I can clarify the issues or the problems that you have with certain topics or certain answers that I'm given. Really, I am more than happy to give you 
any answers to your questions. I'm happy to clarify any topics you have. That is what this is for. That's why this is also on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple Podcast, just about any platform you can think of now, really. So please send in your questions. You can find my email on my Twitter page, so you can send them in there. You can message me on Twitter, on Facebook, whatever. Get in touch, let me know what you want to know. The next episode, I'm going to have a look through some of the comments here and I'm going to try and sort of build a topic that may be a little more helpful. I am tempted to go for the globalization topic this time because I think that's quite interesting and people don't necessarily have the understanding that I would, I believe they should regarding what's geopolitics, what is a, what is considered weaponry, what is considered a style of violence in the political sense. You know, talking about structural violence, violence of governments on their individuals, the violence of economic systems, you know, maybe go through some of those theories so that people get those answers. Or if people think that it's easier to just record a bunch of tutorials on YouTube explaining these various topics like normative power, uh, political violence, globalization, I am more than happy to do that. I mean, I'm currently preparing a video for Europe Day, which is just on the horizon, just to give people a bit of feedback on what that is, why we Federalists celebrate this, and why I believe Europe is the future, that kind of thing. But after that, I would be happy to start recording tutorials. But in the meantime, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Please share this with all of your friends and family who may have questions, who you want to know more about politics, who you think would benefit from this kind of format in these videos and guys honestly look after yourselves we're living through tough times these are difficult times please if if, if people need someone to vent to or talk to about their problems my dms are open i'm open to give support to people who need it really i know how tough it is so please just get in touch enjoy the good weather today it's looking quite sunny in amsterdam with some blue skies and a little cloud so guys be safe Thank you for tuning in and I will see you all on Wednesday. So yeah, take care.